Um, The reading this week is from Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath to do, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all of, about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up onto a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. I, uh, I think it's important just to give you a brief outline of where we're going to go tonight so that you know where we're going, you can track with me, uh, and, and then we can all land in the same place. So uh, we're going to be covering one to six, so it's the passage about the Sabbath. So we're going to be talking about Sabbath, we're going to be talking about rest, we're going to be talking about Jesus, uh, and then we're going to be leading into a time of prayer and response. So we do that usually as a church. If you've been coming to this church for a little while, or even if you've not been coming here, but you've been coming to other churches like this, uh, you might be used to response, ministry time, prayer time, whatever it's called. If you're not used to that, that's totally fine. Basically, what happens is we have a team of really brilliant, passionate people uh, who are trained, who, uh, love, who would love to pray for you. Uh, and that happens over here. Uh, and if I, can, if I can briefly, before we go into this, just uh, shed a little bit of honesty. Um, I have a question about that whole thing, right? I have a question about how we do that as a church. And my question uh, is, uh, you know, I'm not a prophet, and I'm in no way a a crazy mathematician, uh, but surely just on the laws of probability, the number of people who are here and the number of people who often use prayer ministry, um, it's sometimes I feel, forgive me, it's underused. We have an amazing team of people who love you and are passionate and they want to pray for you. So uh, tonight, uh, I want us together to look at going for that. So we're going to offer up a time to pray uh, and I'll give specific things that we want to pray for because I think this passage is brilliant. And I think God wants to do stuff with us tonight with it. And then I'm going to offer up a chance for you guys to to move over and be prayed for. Uh, And so just if you can have that in your heart now and start to churn over. And maybe even if you're totally new to this, start to wonder, is there something that God might want, uh, uh, want me to go over for prayer for? That would be amazing, because I think there's some amazing things that's going to happen tonight. And if you're totally new to church, well, just enjoy the roller coaster. It might look a bit weird, but... We're all in it together, it's fine. Um, We're then going to go into the passage, we're then going to talk about Sabbath, it's going to be brilliant. But before we get there, I want to tell you a story. Stories are good because they help you like me, 
and, uh, and they also they kind of loosen up the room a bit, and uh, especially if I'm going to get you to like, go do some prayer stuff, it might convince you to do that a bit more. Um, but I do have to say, uh, I'm really sorry about the story I'm going to tell. And I promise I'm only ever going to tell this story once from this platform. Uh, I promise I'm not going to be like, uh, I'm not going to be the person who talks about this sort of thing all of the time uh, and talks about it in every sermon. We have a previous curate who maybe did that, not naming names. Um, I'm not going to be that person. But I am going to tell you the story of how I got engaged. That's a good response. I said, but I'm really sorry, I know, it's really gushy, it's terrible. But I think it, there is relevance tonight. So uh, I, I got engaged this year in May, it was awesome. Uh, I'm engaged to Laura, she's caretaking, serving the Lord, serving the church. <laughs> Amazing, so she, she's somewhere around. And... Um, in May, we'd been going out for a while, and we'd already had the conversation, you know, as, as us Christians do, and we thought, you know, where's this going, you know, do we have the right intentions, do we, and basically we're just like, man, I want to marry you, can we do this, when can we do this? And uh, so we had that conversation, and then in May, we went to Hong Kong. So Laura's best friend was out there as part of her degree, uh, working and studying. It was really cool. And she was just like, come out here. I'll show you around Hong Kong. It's a really cool place. And I thought, this is the place I'm going to propose. What better place than Hong Kong, right? So we fly out. We have an amazing time. It's in May, so it's kind of a, it's not like blazing sunshine. It's kind of grey most days, but it's hot. But we get this one day of sun, and I mean like blue sky, unbelievable. And this is also the day that we're going. Just me and Laura this time. We spend all our time with Jess, but it's just me and Laura this day, and we're going up this mountain. And it's called Lime Rock. And if you've ever been to Hong Kong, you know anything about it. Basically, there's this mountain called Lime Rock. And it overlooks the entire island and, and the city of Hong Kong and the mainland. And it's awesome. Like, the views are insane. And, I mean, obviously, it's a given. I'm going to propose at the top of Lime Rock, right? So, anyway, so we start this day. We get to the bottom of the mountain. And we look up at this mountain. And in Laura's mind is brilliant. We've got an amazing day ahead. We're going to stroll up this mountain. We're going to see if there's any wildlife, like any animals, you know, and it's kind of, it looks a bit like a jungle, so we're going to walk through the jungle. And then maybe there might be some breaks in the trees where we'll see amazing views. And then we're going to keep going up, and it's just going to be such a lovely day. I'm thinking, I'm getting, I'm getting engaged there, right at the top of that mountain. I'm proposing. That's what's going down. She doesn't know, I know, rings my pocket, it's happening there. So in my head, I'm like, my job today is to go from here to there, bring her with me, and then I'm going to ask a question. She's going to say yes, that's what's going to happen. So in my head, I'm like, this is my mission. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about Asian tourists. Uh, I don't care about Hong Kong at all. I don't care about anything. I'm like, I'm getting to the top of that mountain. So much so that we're walking up, and, and instead of it being the light, leisurely stroll, I'm, I'm dragging Laura up this mountain. <laughs> like, I'm not even having normal conversation with her. I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, nice, let's keep going. And, and we're marching up. And Laura, Laura, in, in her amazingness, you know, and she says this is because of the things that she wanted to look at. Maybe she was a bit tired. It was a steep mountain. But every five minutes, it's maybe like, oh, let's, let's take a break. Let's take a break. I'm like, uh, no, let's keep going. Let's keep going to the top of this mountain. Anyway, we get to the top of this mountain. I won't go into the details. I, I, I memorised the poem, and I said some lovely things. I got down on one knee. It was really nice, right? 
And she said yes. That's an important part. She said yes. And we had this great time up at the top. We took pictures. We enjoyed the views. It was awesome. And then we started to come down, because you have to come down once you've gone up to the top of a mountain. And on our way down, we're kind of going down and you know, chatting about being engaged and stuff. And, and suddenly, there's like a break in the, in the trees. And you can see this amazing view. And I'm like, whoa, let's have a look at this. And then we carried on a little bit further. And I'll be like, oh my goodness, wild monkeys, legit wild monkeys running around. Whoa, this is crazy. And then a little bit further, wild like warthog pig things. And we're like, what is that? That's amazing. <laughs> And then we go a little bit further, and it's like a jungle, and you can hear all the insects. And it was just, and I'm stopping every five minutes going, let's enjoy this, this is amazing. What's happening in Laura's mind is that she's intensely frustrated at this point. <laughs> she's like, bro, I wanted to look at this all the way up the mountain, and you just wanted to march all the way to the top. This has been here the whole time, and you're only noticing it now. You see, I'd gotten so focused on that moment right there that I'd forgotten the bigger picture. I'd forgotten the whole thing. I was so focused. If, if, if you're engaged or you're married, then you'll know this. And if you're not, I'll let you in on something. The proposal is a brilliant moment. It's amazing. You get to tell the story over and over. That's not as fun because then you get bored of telling it, right? But it is an amazing moment, right? But it lasts all of about five minutes. Legit, like you, you, you get to a point, you get to a place where you're going to do it, you say some nice things, uh, they start to notice that this is happening, you get down on one knee, you put the ring on the finger, they say either yes or no, but those are one syllable words, so it's really quick, and then you get back up and you hug, maybe she cries, maybe you cry, it's an amazing moment. It's about five minutes long. And my entire focus was on that five minutes. That tiny little moment. And I'd forgotten, I'd completely forgotten the rest of the stuff that was happening. I think that story, and I'm only telling it once, so remember it. I think that story is super similar to what's happening here. Here we have uh, this situation where these people who supposedly have got it all covered, they're ticking every box, they're focused, but they're focused on the wrong thing. And they can't see the wood for the trees. They, 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 they keep their eyes on all the other stuff, but they miss the bigger picture. They miss the point. Let's go into this. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Some of them. We know from, that, from this passage that the, some of them are the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are this group of people. They're, they're, they're the moral compasses of the day. They're the religious leaders. They have an incredible amount of power um, in, in the city. They have, uh, they're, um, they're, just, they're just at the top of things. And, and they're very much like, this is what you need to do to get into the heaven. Uh, this is right. This is wrong. They have an immense power. And, and their, their entire lives is devoted to keeping the Ten Commandments and making sure everybody else keeps the Ten Commandments. And all this kind of stuff. But they're also the group of people who want to kill Jesus. I don't understand. They have this faith with God. They tick all the right boxes. And yet, for some reason, when the Son of God arrives, they want him dead. They're doing everything right. And yet, they're trying to find a reason to accuse Jesus. 
So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, talking about the man with the shriveled hand. Now, just to quickly pause on Sabbath, for those of us who don't know, um, Sabbath is, is uh, uh, well, it, it's in the Ten Commandments to keep uh, the Sabbath holy. Sabbath was the day of rest. Uh, God created all things in six days in Genesis, whatever, whether you believe that's six literal days or six periods of time. Uh, and on the seventh, he rested. And so in the Ten Commandments, it says that we are to take a day of rest. Uh, and the Jewish people of the day took this very, very seriously. So much so that to break Sabbath, to, to work on a Sabbath, could result in death. You could be punished for that by death. And the Pharisees wanted Jesus to die. So they want to see if he's going to do something on the Sabbath. Now, what's really important to notice here, that these guys are so focused on ticking boxes and making sure that they get to keep their power as Pharisees, that they're missing the fact that they're looking at Jesus. The, the thing that bewilders me is that the passage doesn't say, uh, and they look to Jesus to see if he could heal the man. The passage says they looked to Jesus to see if he would heal the man. They knew he could heal him. But they knew that he was trouble for their power. So they knew that if he healed, they could maybe they could get him. But they, they knew that he was Jesus. I mean, did they know he was the Messiah? I don't know. But they knew that he had the power to heal. And yet they were so focused on ticking boxes, that it completely distorted their picture. They'd forgotten the bigger picture. So Jesus showed them what Sabbath really means. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hands, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. I mean, that's, that's a rhetorical question, isn't it? What's better to do, good or evil, save life or to kill? I mean, those guys know what the answer is, don't they? But they remain silent. They remain silent. They don't want to lose their power. They don't want to lose their position. They want to see Jesus break a rule so that they can get him. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. They began to plot with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians are a group of people who were almost employed or appointed by the Roman Empire to basically oversee the running of Israel. So if you like, the Herodians are the people who are kind of setting the culture. So if you, the Pharisees are the people who've always been around, but the Herodians are almost the rulers over those guys. They're setting the culture. And in fact, actually, the Roman Empire and, and thusly the, the Herodians were a group of people who wanted to follow, um, uh, follow more and be more like the Greeks in, in the sense of their kind of um, outlook at life, uh, sexuality, um, all of the ways that they did uh, religion, uh, pagan gods, all that kind of stuff. That's what the Herodians were all about. So if you imagine the Herodians were hedonistic. You do what you want to do to be happy. Whatever makes you happy is permissible. You just do it. And then you've got these other people, the Pharisees, who are all about, no, 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 this is right and wrong. This is what's good, this is what's evil. The Pharisees were moralistic. 
moral compasses. The Herodians were these uh, uh, hedonistic, open-minded group of people. Complete opposites, these people. Complete opposites. And yet, against Jesus, they were combined. And the Pharisees were willing to team up with these guys. Celtic teaming up with Rangers, Hibs teaming up with Hearts, Portsmouth teaming up with Southampton. It's never going to happen. I'm a Portsmouth fan, so I had to mention that. It's never going to happen, but they're doing it against Jesus. And the reason why is because the good news of Jesus is offensive to any moralistic religiosity. And it's offensive to any lifestyle that says, just do what you want to be happy. It sits right in the middle of that conversation and says, actually, it's not about what can I do to be right with God or what can I do to be happy. It's about, I get it wrong. I'm broken. I'm weak. I need Jesus. And I need other people. And I'm called to love other people and love Jesus. It's about the first becoming last and the last becoming first. It's about power made perfect in weakness. That's the gospel that Jesus preaches, but it offends those two groups of people, so they team up to kill him. But Jesus wants to show them what Sabbath really means. And he shows them by healing this man's hand. And he heals the hand, I think, very obviously, because Jesus is a compassionate guy. He loves this guy, and he wants to see healing. It's really simple. He just wants to heal him. He wants to see, uh, he wants to see this person uh, more like the person that they were made to be. So he heals them. But it's also a picture that this shriveled hand is, is the shriveled nature of humanity. It's the brokenness in all of us. But Jesus says, stretch out your hand so that he might completely restore it. Jesus wants to show us what Sabbath is. Well, I think what Sabbath is, is it's about complete restoration. Do we really believe that God got tired after six days of creating everything? Do we really think that after six days of creation, God needed a rest? I, I just don't believe in that God. I believe after six days of creating things, he wanted to kick back and say, flip, this is good. He wanted to kick back and say, have you seen those birds? And have you seen the worm? And have you seen the sea and the sand and the land and, and, and the people? Have you seen all the people and the sky and the heavens and the stars? I love it. Isn't it so good? Sabbath is about kicking back and delighting in creation. But it's also about complete restoration. You see, I believe that where creation and redemption, restoration, where those two things meet, that's where we find Sabbath. Where we delight in the things that God has done in our lives and in, our, in creation around us. But we also have our ears pricked and to the grindstone of the reality of our broken world and what God's plan is for that broken world. When we sit in between those two hard places, we find rest, we find Sabbath. You see, the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy 
is the fourth commandment out of the ten. The first three are about our relationship with God. And Sabbath uh, and commandment five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten are all about our relationship with one another. And right in between those two things is, is keep the Sabbath holy. Commandment number four. It's the bridge between God and man. It's the place where we take all of the awesomeness of creation, all the beauty of who God is, and we meet it with all the frailty of man. Sabbath is the place of rest and restoration and redemption. Sabbath is Jesus. In the chapter previous to this one, in the section literally previous to this one, we have Jesus declaring that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Not Lord over the Sabbath, he's Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Sabbath. He's realigning our focus. Where the Pharisees had gotten lost in religiosity, Jesus came to end religiosity. He came to flip it around. Say it's not about ticking boxes. It's not about getting things right. It's not about just turning up. This is all about a relationship. This is all about being real. This is all about give me your brokenness. Sabbath is Jesus. It says also in chapter 2 in Mark, Jesus says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I've not come to get the people who are ticking the boxes and say, well done, you've done it really well, but who have missed the real true heart of this thing. No, Jesus has come for the people who are willing to say, I've not got it right. And going to church every Sunday isn't going to tick that box. And doing communion and reading my Bible and praying, all those things aren't really going to cut it if I'm not pursuing Jesus first. If I'm not giving all of me to Jesus. And here's the reality. It's really hard to give all of us to Jesus. In fact, the nature of sin, things that we do that are selfish, the very nature of sin is those tend to be things that we're forgetting Jesus in. Those are things where we're so focused on pleasure or experience or getting something for our own gain that we forget Jesus. We all Daily, I daily forget Jesus. But Jesus says he has come for sinners just like me. He's not looking for tick boxes. He's looking for open and honest hearts, also known as broken hearts, also known as sinners, also known as us. In all of our worry, our doubt and our frailty. He's come for us. He's flipping the power dynamic because it's no longer about if you can just turn up and look good, then you'll be fine. It's no longer about are you right with God or wrong with God. It's actually about having a conversation. It's actually about a relationship. It's actually about God. I'm a total sinner and I get it wrong all the time. 
I do things for my own good, rely on my own strength, uh, and I fall down always. But there's a hope found in Jesus, because he says he came for me. And what does he want to do? He wants to say, Josh, give me your hand. And as I stretch out my hand, he wants to completely restore me. That's his plan. And as I said at the start of the talk, um, I said there's going to be an opportunity uh, where, uh, where we're going to pray together. Uh, and you guys are going to go up and get some prayer. And, uh, and the focus behind that is I, I, want, I want to take Sabbath with you tonight. I want us to do Sabbath. And what I mean by that is I want us uh, to meet with Jesus and I want us to give him the areas of our lives that we've forgotten him in. And I want us to find complete restoration. Which is what he promises, which is what he wants to give us. It says in his word, he wants to give us life in all of its fullness. So, the way that that's going to look is there's going to be the amazing prayer ministry team over here. Uh, and then at the right time, the band are going to come up. And, and they're not going to lead us in worship. They're just going to help, help me lead this. And we will, we will then flow into worship, but initially they're just going to help me lead this. Um, the reality is sometimes it's really helpful to cut through the awkward silence with something that helps us focus on what God might be doing. And music is an amazing way of doing that. And then what we're going to do is we're going to stand and I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to shine a light in our lives, in your lives, my life. Shine a light on the areas where perhaps we, I, have forgotten him. And those, those, uh, those can look like lots of different things. You know, maybe it's quite similar to the story of the Pharisees. You know, you, you tick the boxes, you come to church on time, you come to the prayer meetings, you, um, you know the right things to say, but actually, um, it's, all a bit of a, uh, it's all a bit of a facade. It's, it's, it's not a real relationship. You've forgotten Jesus. Or maybe there's, there's an area um, in your life where there's, there's sin, and maybe it's even like a habitual sin, you know, maybe it's one of those areas where um, we deliberately close the door to Jesus. And we all know those moments, right? When you're kind of walking hand in hand with Jesus and it's really beautiful and lovely. And then you're like, oh, give me five minutes. And you kind of shut the door. And whatever happens behind that door, I don't need to know, it doesn't matter. But there, we all have those moments in our lives where we just shut the door to Jesus for five minutes. And that could be uh, the way we feel about something, or that could be a specific act, or it could be a specific sin. Or maybe uh, there's stress and pressure at work, or at home, or at university, uh, and, and, and you're going, oh, I'll just deal with it. I'll just deal with it. Because, you know, sometimes it's like dark nights of the soul and stuff, right? And I should just probably man up and deal with this. Or I should probably just be able to handle this, Right? And Jesus is going, I did the work. It is finished. When are you going to put me at the center of this? Why have you forgotten me in this area? Or maybe you're thinking, do you know what? I'm all good. I'm all good. I feel all good. 
And perhaps tonight, this is a moment where God is reaching out and saying, just give me your hand. Let's continue on this roller coaster. Let's go deeper. Let's go, let's go more into that wild place. Because I believe he wants to take us on an amazing journey. And lastly, perhaps all of this is gobbledygook. You've never given your life to Jesus. And all of this feels a bit weird and random. That's totally cool too. All I would say is if that's you, this is an incredible moment where Jesus is holding out his hand and saying, give me your hand. And you have an opportunity here to change your life forever and to start entering, uh, entering a life that looks like complete restoration. Entering a life uh, to the full, complete fullness in him.